0: This is Rate of Change, a podcast from Duke Engineering, dedicated to the ingenious ways that engineers are solving society's toughest problems. I'm Miranda Valborth. Algorithms run constantly in the backgrounds of our lives, monitoring our online presence, scanning our environment, predicting our behaviors, and they can affect our lives in profound ways. They're used in finance, healthcare, and even in the criminal justice system, yet we allow them to make these high-stakes decisions in secret, hidden within black boxes. A black box predictive model is
1: a mathematical formula that's too complicated for a human to understand, or a formula that's proprietary, meaning that it is hidden by a company. There are a lot of problems with black boxes. Sometimes they, sometimes they depend on variables you don't want them to, and you don't know about it because you can't really tell what's in your black box.
0: This is Cynthia Rudin an associate professor of computer science and electrical and computer engineering at Duke University. Cynthia runs the university's prediction analysis lab, and she is an expert at making projections and predictions from huge, complicated data sets. Along the way, she's become interested in the potential pitfalls of black box algorithms. Where would someone like me come across black box algorithms in my day to day life? You'd be surprised how
1: often you, you come across uh, black box uh, machine learning algorithms. Like they are, um, you know, whenever you go to the go to the internet and you look at a website that sells products, you know they're they're using black box AI. Um, you know, you can see why a company that that sells products wants wants to use black box algorithms, right? There are tons of factors to consider. For whether to recommend you a product. They would look at your purchase history, like the number of times you've looked at the product before, um, you know, what time of day you look at it, what season it is, what your friends are saying about it, what the weather's doing. Um, all of these things might contribute to whether, you know, you get a recommendation to buy a pair of rain boots or to stream a new TV show. And of course, these algorithms are proprietary, and the black box models keep it safe from competitors. The problem is that these secret algorithms aren't used just to make low-stakes decisions. People are using these algorithms for high-stakes decisions, like key events that deeply affect people. And they think that you can just apply the same algorithms and strategy that you can for web search. Like, you know, for web search, if, if you get an incorrect recommendation, who cares? Um, But there's been there have been a lot of situations lately where bad stuff has happened um, because these algorithms are not transparent. Like, for instance, um, whether or not you get denied credit Um, and then also things like air quality index. Um, It would be quite bad if an air quality index said that everything was fine outside and it's beautiful and your cars were covered in a layer of ash, which actually did happen during the California wildfires recently.
0: It just sits there like the house guest who refuses to leave. An ominous blanket made up of vehicle exhaust, ozone, and especially smoke from wildfires. I just noticed that it's really smoky and it's difficult to breathe. I could um, just like smell it and like I would start sneezing and coughing really like, badly. Despite clear evidence to the contrary, some widgets were telling residents in central California that the air was good. The ideal air quality for outdoor activities, even as physicians were urging people to stay indoors. That's a big problem for people with, say, asthma or other respiratory problems. But that's only one example of a black box model being used to make high-stakes decisions. There are others. Here's Cynthia Rudin again. The criminal justice system has a lot of
1: black box algorithms that are being used in it right now and they're being used for things like bail decisions and parole decisions, and that's causing a lot of problems. Like, people can be denied parole without even knowing why.
0: Let's talk about that a little bit more. The term COMPASS comes up a lot in these conversations about the justice system. Can you explain what COMPASS is? So COMPASS
1: is a black box model for predicting um, recidivism, which is, like whether somebody's going to be arrested within a certain period of time, and um, Compass is it's proprietary. Um, nobody knows exactly what's inside of it, and it's being used sort of widely throughout the U.S. justice system. There was this famous case, uh, the case of Glenn Rodriguez, who was um, he was up for parole.
0: Glenn Rodriguez, an inmate at the Eastern Correctional Facility in Upstate New York, was denied parole in spite of being a model prisoner. The parole board referenced his, quote, high compass risk score for prison misconduct, unquote, in its denial. But Rodriguez hadn't had a disciplinary action in 10 years. Rodriguez suspected something was wrong with the model. And according to Rebecca Wexler, an attorney and former Yale public interest fellow at the Legal Aid Society of New York City, Rodriguez began a process of checking his own survey responses against those of other prisoners and looking at the outcomes he suspected that on his survey, the answer to question number 19 regarding disciplinary action had been entered incorrectly.
1: Now, I don't think his case is unique. I mean, I think these scores are miscalculated all the time because if you have, if you, if you have to enter 137 numbers into a model, um, you know the chances are that you're going to miss that you're going to enter at least one of those numbers in wrong. Um, so these miscalculations, we think, um, we have a lot of evidence that they appear fairly often.
0: What are the most important factors out of those 137?
1: Well, um, I'm not sure exactly because the model's not transparent, so I can't figure that out. One of the factors that, one of the questions they ask in the Compass um, scoring sheet is, well, has your mother ever been arrested? I mean, why does the company need to know that, right? It that, I'm guessing that doesn't help you predict recidivism. Um, and in fact, I'm Pretty, I'm quite sure that it doesn't help them predict recidivism because our models can predict recidivism just as well as they can, and we don't have whether or not anybody's mother was arrested.
0: What do you mean your models?
1: Well, we, we develop a lot of um, transparent models in my lab, so models that are really easy to double-check um, and really easy to evaluate. Um, these models, they don't even require a calculator to compute. You can just compute them in your head. So we developed a model to compete with COMPASS, from a data set that comes from Broward County, Florida, and the model, I'm going to tell you the whole model. It's a machine learning model. It's, it sounds like a rule it's going to sound like a rule of thumb, but it's actually a machine learning model, and it just, it's just as accurate as Compass for predicting whether somebody's going to be arrested within two years. Okay, so here's the model. If your age is 18 to 20 years old, or If you're 21 to 22 years old and have two to three prior offenses, or if you have at least three prior offenses, then you're likely to be arrested in the next two years and otherwise not. Okay, that's the whole machine learning model, not a rule of thumb. That's the whole model.
0: And that's just as accurate as the model with 137 factors. According to our data from Florida. So why, if your tiny model works just as well and it provides transparency, why is the black box algorithm being used? Yeah, that's a really
1: good question. Um, It's complicated. (laughs) Uh, So uh, there's, there's sort of a widespread belief that because a model is a black box, it's more accurate. And that, as far as I can tell, is wrong. Right. Um, I worked on many different applications in medical care, and energy, in credit risk, and in criminal recidivism. And we haven't found uh, that – we've never found an application where we really needed a black box. We could always use an interpretable model for a high-stakes decision problem. Um, but I think part of it is also the history of the field of machine learning – like um, in 2012, there was a big splash where these deep learning algorithms did really well for um, a, a benchmark computer vision task. And so since that time, um, you know, people really thought you needed, you know, they said, oh, great, we can do image classification better than we, can, than we can do it before. And then people got really excited about these black box algorithms. And then they started applying them to these high stakes decisions Without really thinking about the ramifications about doing that, very often we don't train our computer scientists in the right topics. We don't train them in basic statistics, for instance. We don't train them in ethics, so they don't know they develop this technology without worrying about what it's what it's used for,
0: Uh, and that's a problem. So that benchmark task in machine learning kind of triggered a wave of black box applications. What about a benchmark task for interpretable, transparent models?
1: There, there hasn't been um, a real benchmark in interpretability, but there's been one in explainability, which is related. Um, so explainability scares me. <laughs> um, explainability is where you you you're supposed to take a black box model and explain it. Okay, so there was this, there was a competition in 2018, where the FICO, the company FICO, um, you know, the Fair Isaac Corporation, provided a data set to just freely freely available, and then people could compete to provide, uh, they wanted everyone to provide a black box and then explain it afterward. So my team got a hold of this data set, and we looked at it, and we said, I don't think you need a black box for this data set. <laughs> so what we did was we, we completely violated the rules and provided a model that was interpretable, you know, fully interpretable, so no black box at all. And we sent our model off to the judges. They, I think they had trouble evaluating the competition. Like The, the organizers of the competition didn't know how to evaluate um, explainability or interpretability. But um, we did get an email a few weeks ago saying that FICO... Um, was awarding us with the FICO recognition prize for our work on the challenge that so we were thrilled about that.
0: Are things looking up or looking down for opening up the black box? Well, at the
1: moment, I would say things are looking down. Um, in fact, uh, California, for instance, now is going to a, a no-bail system where an algorithm makes decisions, and I believe that they're thinking about using Compass for it. Um, I mean, these algorithms, uh, the comp- there are a lot of companies that make profits off of selling these black box models, and these companies have been fairly successful in getting their models to penetrate um, the justice system. So I would say that um, at the moment, the black boxes are succeeding, But I'm hoping that if we get the word out there that these transparent models are just as accurate as the black box models, that people will start using the transparent
0: ones instead. How can researchers like you at universities like Duke help? Well, I mean, if the
1: criminal justice system wants a model for recidivism prediction, they should be turning to academics to create that model, you know, or to to charities, you know, rather than a company, because... You know, we can do it just as well, and we'll give it away for free.
0: What's the outcome you're hoping for?
1: I'm hoping that people realize the risks in um, explainable models and that they don't actually need black boxes at all. They can use models that are completely interpretable. I would like to see a system in which no black box model is used for a high-stakes decision unless... There is no equally accurate interpretable model. Now, I'm pretty sure that for all of the high stakes problems I've worked on, there's no need for a black box model at all in that case. So I'm hoping that if we govern interpretability before, you know, black boxes, then we will have only interpretable models.
0: Rudin's team made its competition entry for the FICO challenge publicly available. Anyone who wants to can go onto the website and explore the model through its web interface to understand how it works. She also makes all her code available, so if you're a machine learning expert listening to this podcast, you can get her code and use it to build interpretable models for your own data sets. You can find that address in our show notes. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe for updates from Duke Engineering. And if you learned something from this podcast, please share it with others.